Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, an inside look at beauty pageants and obsolescence. I think that's a word. This is going to sound really arrogant. They ain't nobody like me. For what? They ain't nobody like me. Because this mother is forcing this child to be someone. When I work with someone, I, that is the, I'm, I'm cutting that umbilical cord. I mean, I have had girls pull out an evening gown, chopped up. These things happen. They're evil people, right? I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really does help us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest is the most in-demand beauty pageant coach in the world. He's coached five Miss Americas, four Miss USAs. What I really think is interesting about this, though, is he gives us an inside look at what beauty pageants are really like, why they are so popular, and how they are changing. This is beauty pageant coach Bill Alverson. When we talk about a pageant coach, what exactly are you doing? There's the pageant coach that I guess the world knows, and then there's me. A typical pageant coach is someone who's going to prepare you for the pageant, the process, how to answer a question, but they're really going to more tell you what you should be answering, how you should present yourselves. What I like to do is figure out who in the hell you are so that... If there is a problem, say you're not very well, you're not very knowledgeable in current events, and this pageant's going to have some current events questions, we've got to develop that. We've got to educate your brain so that you can then intelligently speak to sell yourself. What I like to call my, my preparation is we're making you a teaser on you so that the judges, when they look and watch and see, they want to watch your show. They want to be on your show. They want to be with you. So it is how to engage and present yourself in life and sell yourself or your ideas and concepts. Do most people who are in pageants, do they need a little bit of work or do they need a lot of work? I would say most people in pageants need substantive work. And what I mean by that is some people's substantive work is starting from, I've never read a book. I don't know anything. I'm just pretty. And then there are other people that are introverts, but when they're on stage, they come alive because the lights kind of keep them distance. So they, they have to work on how to communicate verbally. Then there's some people that are such chatty Cathy's, they don't shut the hell up. We need to learn how to rein them in and not, I don't really care about what, what you think, you know, the narcissistic ones, which the narcissism seems to be growing. So it really does vary. Sometimes I get a girl, say she's already won a state pageant, she's going to Miss USA, Miss America, whatever. She just needs to be like shooting those free throws, like a great athlete that just needs a little bit of extra training and work to keep them on focus and track. For people who maybe aren't kind of accustomed to the pageant world, how would you explain it to somebody that really just what the world's involved, the competition, the... What I typically, what I like to say, one of my catchphrases is life's a pageant. And people kind of question me on that. And I'm like, all right, let's think about it. You're going to your local bar. You're going to get a drink. You're hanging out with the buddies. 
beautiful lady walks in. Hmm, I'm single. And so you kind of go up and you want to talk to her, right? Well, how do you know what to say? How do you know to present yourself? That's a little bit about you being a pageant contestant. It is how you're engaging, how you look, how you may, you know, are you saying come hither? Are you saying back the hell up? Are you squaring your shoulders? Are you having friendly body language? Pageant girls, they're way ahead of the curve on that because they've been marketing themselves, talking about themselves, explaining their interests, and yet maintaining engagement and conversation through an interview. So that's kind of how the pageant all kind of comes together in a big circle. How big is it in certain areas, would you say? When you get like to Seattle, Los Angeles, New York, you have so many different things going. You literally can like, hey, they're shooting a new movie right around the corner, big famous people, and you're in a restaurant and people are being regular, right? But then when you slow down the numbers to where it's more small, then it's kind of like the event or something that's going on. Everyone knows when the Oscars are going on in Hollywood. That to me is how a pageant is working in different communities. If it's one of these fruit and vegetable kind of pageants or a seafood festival where these pageants are part of a general overall celebration, it's kind of a big deal. You know, they're kind of like keeping up with who's in it and who's doing what. Sounds like the old Miss Firecracker 500 movie. But on, but in other places, people don't even know what's going on. Here's, we're crowning Miss Manhattan tonight. You walk out the door and go eat and people don't even know what you were doing, were you in a bookstore? So it varies on the, I guess, the population base. And from that, how it's involved in the community. And then we're seeing people. State pageants are typically a big deal thing because they, the contestants come in, their families come in, the people are involved in the community. They're doing preliminaries. The theater is advertising it. And so it's just kind of an activity. Um, not unlike a sporting event, actually. Like when you, when somebody comes in and you're going to start with a new client, like how do you kind of, what's your general process? You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to look at this. You're going to look at that. The first thing I, I have to really work on is do they even know who, who they are and what they want to do? Then we break down things like when they say and stuff and I love to help people, generalities that like I just fall asleep and go, well, whatever, what did you tell me? You haven't told me a damn thing, but I'm nice and kind. No, you're not. You're telling me you are. You haven't you haven't told me any facts that show these qualities about you. You know, I want to go to med school. I want to be a doctor. I'm going to be a thoracic surgeon. That's great. So you're in an honor society in high school. No, I make C's. Then I just look at them and go, you ain't going to med school, girl. It sounded great and fancy, but it doesn't make sense. So that's really what I start working on is working on them being real authentic with me. And the funny thing is most girls that work with me, their test scores and grades go up. Is there an area where you would, you would say, like when you come in and you work with most pageant people, is there an area where they seem to struggle the most? Like, oh, I know I'm going to have to work on this. Current events. Nobody seems to know what in the hell is going on. They believe a news blip. They're, these girls are just as guilty as their parents, and that's why the whole country's effed up as far as I'm concerned. We operate off headlines. And we don't read down to really see what we're looking for or we close our mind to an other opinion or other side. And so I have, that's a challenge of mine. It's kind of fun to see it when the light bulb goes off, if you will. 
um, years ago, I worked with a girl and all of a sudden she just sat and looked at me and went, oh my God, it all makes sense. Now I know why I'm saying this to create this, to do this. She killed it. I mean, you know, she, it all started making sense how to communicate. And that's probably current events. They're lacking a lot, reading for their own enjoyment. And so you have to adapt to what's going on, but what are we doing to keep assimilating the information of the world you're in? That's the biggest push. That's what people are lacking the most. So when we talk about like pageant coaches like yourself, how many people do this? This is going to sound really arrogant. They ain't nobody like me. For what? They ain't nobody like me. I'm an attorney. I'm a divorced man with three kids, two grandkids, married to a man. They ain't going to be nobody to fit that. There's plenty of a gay man that's a pageant coach that wish he could walk in heels. There are prob- There was another guy, and um, he also had a family. He's deceased. His name is Don Baker. And there's a couple of women, but then it becomes kind of regional that people work with their little favorite people, and they're all over the country. I mean, it's like we're a hidden society that we're not collectively with. But so, yeah, we're kind of a little kind of everywhere. If there is a pageant, there is a pageant coach nearby that has girls in that pageant. For kind of perspective, let's say state level pageant. How many girls are going to enter that? Like, how competitive is this? It can be very competitive. For example, there's the Miss Georgia America pageant coming up. There, we have 95 girls, I think, in it. Probably 50 Miss contestants, 40 teenage girls. That's kind of a big deal pageant. And all of those girls have won a local title. So they've come up from a lot of pageant land coming there. Recently, there was Miss Alabama USA. I went to that pageant as well. They probably had 90 to 100 girls in it. Miss California, Miss New York, which people like to think liberal zones. Are they really into the pageant? Yeah, because in those, they have like 200 contestants in the Miss pageant alone. So it gets pretty competitive. Now, then you can go to some states. They've got 12 girls at the state pageant. But six of those girls are incredibly solid. The other ones are just kind of seeing what the hell's happening and maybe they'll fall into it. And sometimes that happens. How lucrative would you say is either pageant coaching or the pageant world? The pageant world can be very lucrative. Um, and the reason it can be, if, you, if you're a state director in a pageant where people have to pay an entry fee and they have to have a hotel room, it's a business thing, just like any kind of sports event you're putting on. It truly is. And so... The Miss America organization, just until recently, was always nonprofit, all about volunteers, were raising money. And I used to laugh, the former head of it um, got paid a salary of $500,000, yet the states, nobody else was employed except he got a half a million dollars and his staff got paid. But everybody else worked off sponsorships and scholarships because it's a number one scholarship program for women. You know, this is a part-time job for me. I make a little bit. I don't make a lot of money. I cover my expenses. It's something that I feel like I'm being productive. I don't waste my time, if you will. It's kind of a hobby that I have. Maybe it's my frustrated um, education background. I'm third generation, should be an educator. Um, And also, it's kind of a weird, that sounds odd, that I like helping people, but it's kind of fun to see people grow and do something with themselves. It's now people associated like people that have pageant and prom shops, they can make good money if they run their business well. There's about a handful in this country that are exceptional. Um, and then 
There are people that do hair and makeup, and they think they make a good gig. So it's kind of nexus and connected with those type of businesses. How popular would you say pageants are? Are they going up in popularity? We took a dip, um, and COVID didn't help at all because they just kind of went, Whew. but they're coming back, and it's because there are feeder pageants that are out there. Like there's a pageant called Ideal Miss. It's in the summer, and if you win it, you still can do your USA, which is a brilliant thing that that director does because she realizes that it used to be if you won this one pageant, you can't do anything else. Now that's limited to if you're Miss, say, Miss Kentucky USA. You can't do another pageant till you go to Miss USA. That's That would make sense, right? But if you're Miss Kentucky Fairground, why would they restrict you from doing something else later on that had a bigger connection for you? So they're, I think they're getting wise about the interconnections, about the different pageants. Um, and we're seeing that people that are gaining the benefit from it. And it's a great activity. I, I even laugh with some people going, how much did you spend on your son's you know, travel baseball team, bat and glove, and he ain't going to play in college? But he's going to be good and grow and do things, right? That makes sense when you look at it that like that, right? Like if you're going to do something, at least do something that you seem to be improving yourself in. That's the and that's the key. That's the key. It is the improvement. If you're a singer and you want to get on American Idol, they just had Miss America, a former Miss America contestant, uh, one of my clients, Betty Cantrell, almost made the cut but got to be on there. If you're a singer, if you're a performer, you're honing in your talent. You're doing the ones that do community service, particularly these girls start nonprofits. They get legislation that they get somebody to sponsor a bill and they get bills passed. You know, there was, she wasn't a client of mine, but it was a Miss New York that helped get the same sex marriage bill passed in New York before the Supreme Court said, okay. You know, that's pretty damn impressive if you're 24 years old trying to get a job somewhere. It, to me, look, looking at it from completely the outside, there seems to have been, and give me some leeway with the wording here, there seems to have been kind of a, a backlash against the idea of pageants. Oh, let's get clear. There's, there's a backlash to anything feminine. When my wife was pregnant, now my wife had her master's and then later got just short of a PhD, got an EDS thing in education. And she was a double mathematics major. She worked for NASA on the space shuttle when she was in college. She was brilliant. When she was pregnant, women would say, are you going back to work? How much time are you taking off from work? And then other women would say, well, certainly you're going to stay home and raise that baby, aren't you? And it was like a taffy pull. And this was in 1986 and seven. And I just looked at her and said, your kind are your own worst enemies. We don't talk to men that way. Why don't we do whatever the fuck we want to do? But we can't because this group of ladies who wants to stay at home thinks that all women should stay at home while the child is little. This group of ladies says, you're so smart and successful, you must go back to work. Oh, you must breastfeed. Oh, you can't breastfeed and do this at work. All this crazy stuff of the 80s, right? I'm coaching engineers right now. There's one competing right now at Mrs. United States of America. And she's an engineer. And we talked about, and she's like 40 years old and an amazing lady. And she got legislation and stuff passed in West Virginia. And I was talking to her because she's beautiful. 
And I said, so did you, did you, did you de-gender yourself when you first started working at the engineering firm? And she was like, 100%. I kind of tried to blend in. I didn't want to do all this, blah, 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 blah. And I said, so when did you start getting promotions? She said, so when I started wearing heels again, when I started owning my femininity. And then when she won this pageant, all the guys at work think it's the greatest thing in the world at Miss West Virginia. And they'll go everywhere and they're like, look, this is Mrs. West Virginia. This is Mrs. West Virginia. And it became kind of a thing. And I, and she said, and that's what I want to do. Go into STEM, be smart women. But if you want to put on lipstick and mascara, that's fine. And that's what I think the battle is. And I also think some of it comes from just flat out laziness. Because women still have this inherent weird competitiveness. If you and I are going somewhere and you look fat in your Speedo, I don't care. And so I'm seeing a resurgence of that. And, you know, people say, oh, that's not true. Really? Because last time I checked, cosmetics was a billion gazillion dollar industry as well as fashion. Has the backlash against that affected the pageant world or did it kind of just keep on trucking right through it? It totally affected the pageant world. That's why Miss America got rid of swimsuit. Right. And I agree. It is sexist. Sure. They're sexual objects. Some of the things they used to do to Miss America, hugely offensive. Walk out and barefoot. Stand. Let's put our legs together and stand like this to see the gaps. I mean, that come on. That's ridiculous. Now they're doing it. They're coming back with athletic wear. Well, you do need to be physically in shape. We're an, we're an obese, fat country. One third of this country is obese. Quit hiding behind the the, the falseness that it doesn't matter. We can't deny that people aren't evaluated. It is a factor. The problem is, is where we put our merit and worth to it. And that, to me, is where things are kind of coming back in a little bit more realistic aspect. I mean, Lululemon would not be a huge, con huge company if people didn't really care about how their bodies looked. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Certainly. Who do you have to coach more, the contestant or the parent? 100% the parent, the parent always, but it's a different type of coaching. You know, I may do more work with the contestant. Okay. Time-wise, but the in-depth is that I have a parent who thinks that Betty Sue is this way. And this is how Betty Sue's going to be. And Betty Sue's not that way. You know, I had a mother who came in, literally told me this because they answer questions. And I, I mean, I'll look at the mom and go, um, does she have a voice? Because, if she's mute, I need to know that. No, she can talk. Why are you saying that? You know, the New York Times Magazine article, they made fun of the mom who answered all the questions for the girl. That happens all the time. And it's the ideals of what they think. She is so kind. And I'm like, no, honey, your daughter's a mean girl. You know, I've coached them how to learn to be kind by calling them out. You're being a mean girl. Um, but this mom came up and said, her daughter was brilliant, like 34, 35 ACT, going to go to Vanderbilt because, you know, mama went to Vanderbilt. And uh, she's going to major in physics. She's going to be a physicist. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Nothing the girl told me matched that at all. She didn't read books about it. She didn't watch movies about it. She didn't care anything about it. She didn't even care about, you know, she wasn't even going to be an engineer. She wasn't anywhere near that. But mom had said that that was what she was going to be. And finally, I pushed the girl and said, give me something that we can put on your paperwork to work to show that they understand this is what you want to do in life. Boom. She goes, that's the problem. I don't know what I want to do. It starts crying. Well, after that thing was over, mama threw her in the car. I never saw those people again. It was like taillights and bye. Because this mother 
is forcing this child to be someone. When I work with someone, I, that is the I'm I'm cutting that umbilical cord. Nothing is worse to me to see someone who wants to be something else, and we have to tell the parent we want to major do or do whatever, and we work it out, and we do talk about it. But that's probably the hardest coaching part is for a mom, not as much the dad, because it goes back to this whole maternal thing. I know my child, and I know what's best for my child. Um, you do in a lot of ways when it, help, it comes to health and safety. But you're not living in that child's world. So how can we get you there? Is there an age group that you would say is either the hardest or the easiest to coach? The easiest to coach is going to be a college-educated individual, 100%, because they've at least had to think in class, you know? Um, the hardest age group is could be that, you know, that early middle school age group, hormones are going everywhere, attention span's gone, you know, you, you don't know really where they are in their life, they haven't formed their own feelings, or they haven't formed their own thought processes, and they're really taking guidance from others that are in their life. That's the, that's, that's the most fun at times, but it's also the hardest. Is there, is there an age group that you would say, like, this is the most competitive you know, the most competitive typically, I think, is still teenagers because, you know, they cry if they don't make cheerleader in high school. You know, the, the, everything in life is important to them. You know, this promposal bullshit that they do now, everything's a production. Um, everything in their life is supposed to be something. And so when you're doing that, then when they don't win, they're devastated. How, like, when you look at who wins and who, lo who loses, can you tell... I mean, is it usually pretty clear, like, oh, she's going to win. She's going to win easy. Or is it usually down to the wire? It's both. Literally, sometimes I've sat there going. And then other times I've sat there watching going, well, this is done. It's a battle for first run up. You know, um, I worked with a girl. She was Miss Alabama. Afterwards, afterwards, I met the judges and I was like, hey, I've been working with her. Can you give me some help for Miss America? And they were like, every night, because they had three nights of preliminaries. And she goes, every night we looked and we all looked at her and went, there's Miss Alabama. After she walked out of the interview room, right, there's Miss Alabama. And all she did was tell us on stage she was Miss Alabama. <coughs> and that was fun because I had worked with this girl. This was her sixth year. And we really had worked everything all the way through. And she finally bought into the entire process. And Every I was dotted, every T was crossed, and she delivered. Now, she later got second runner-up at Miss America. So she was really a solid person. But they saw it. And then sometimes you later find out that three judges went one way, two judges went one way, or two judges went one way, two judges went one way, and the fifth judge went another way. So the girl in second place is the one that rose up and won. And so you kind of like, what happened here? And smaller pageants sometimes, yeah, there's always that it wasn't rigged. And sometimes you kind of think, yeah, maybe it was. Or you find out later the MC knew a couple of the girls or might have worked with them and then throws the friendliness on the stage with the ones that they know. Whenever I find that out ha happens at a pageant and I know the director has done it, I have no problem saying never go back to that. Don't go back to that pageant because it's not a, it's not a fair fight, if you will. Is there ever cheating or contestants sabotaging each other in pageants? <laughs> well, of course there are. I mean, 
I have had girls pull out an evening gown chopped up. You've had girls walk off the stage, at a, even at a high school pageant, and the girl just happens to step on the train of the girl in front of her, and then you hear, rip, and the other girl freaks out, right? Um, I've had one time in a little pageant, teenage girls, they had to do like something in the opening number, and they had to say something funny or whatever, you know, say they were doing something in the 50s, and great balls of fire, I'm here, blah, blah, blah. Well, right before this girl went on, another girl stole did her intro that she'd practiced all week. Somebody else said it. And so the girl was like, well, hell, I got to say something else. So she kind of came up with something, but she wasn't quite on her game. And then the other girl just goes, I, God, I have loved your so much this week. Nerves hit me. And I just said yours instead of mine. But no, honey, you did that intentionally. Hmm. That's devious. It's devious. It's Machiavellian, you know? The Prince, Machiavelli, from the, it's, it's, it's in everything. Um, you know, these things happen. They're evil people, right? And so I actually coach some girls when they know somebody's coming at them, how to handle it, how to balance yourself. Because if you let them put a noose around your neck, you've let them put a noose around your neck. So I don't think people are sleeping around in the pageant world. I, I'm, I've never been aware of that. But I've had other people try to exude influence if they could. Who would you say is the greatest pageant contestant of all time? Yeah, I've got a couple. One, Mallory Hagan. She changed the face of Miss America in interviews more than any person I've ever dealt with. When Mallory was so authentic and herself, she shut a judge down in the middle of her Miss America interview when he was saying something she didn't agree with. She was real. She even said something about, I don't want them up in my grill. I mean, she spoke, she spoke vernacular. She was her authentic, real self and a completely connective, yes, well-coached and planned way, but she never lost the essence of her. I don't think she, I don't think she said one statement that she didn't believe in, but she was so well-prepared. She was ready for that. And then people would watch that interview and started modifying from it. So she's definitely one. Chesley Christ, who was already an attorney when she won Miss North Carolina, won Miss USA. She's the one that sadly committed. She was an amazing woman that continued with a purpose when she was Miss USA. She had no problem walking in a BLM, Black Lives Matter, as Miss USA, where people say, don't be political. And she was like, I'm a black Miss USA. This matters to me. I'm walking. She also then went to Miss America to support her friend who won Miss America, who was Miss New York at the time. Com competitive pageants. I've never seen a current Miss USA go to a Miss America pageant. So what an individual showing us that you can be women to stand on your own two feet. Those are two big ones. There's, um, there was a Miss Alabama that refused to wear a swimsuit on appearances, and that caused Miss USA. So she made a, a, a definite impact on people. Um, you know, when people of of racial and or religious, the first Jewish Miss America makes a big deal. When I coached Nina Devaluri, who was the first woman from India, Indian descent, Hindu, she made a big difference because she opens the doors. So those type people made great impacts by their existence and who and what they are. Vanessa Williams changed the face of pageantry. Pro and con, when they took it away from her, they recognized her and brought her back. I mean, seriously, please. You know, some people just can't be denied their star power. 
what do you consider to be okay so we obviously have you know miss america miss usa those are kind of the ones that i think that everybody has heard of what would you say is like one of the oh this is a big sleeper pageant yeah you know a pageant that is growing um that has getting a lot of attention is something called the volunteer america it's miss america volunteer and it's the offshoot when miss america said ditch the swimsuits um Allison Krauss, uh, Allison, um, I just went blank on her last name. She was a former Miss Tennessee and the Tennessee director in the Miss America system. She was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to start this own thing. And she ran it one year in Tennessee and it's expanded across the country. And it is one of the first ones that said swimsuit, evening gown, interview talent. They're all important, but they're all going to be treated equally. And, you know, so it's been kind of a fun one to watch grow because it gives somebody else with the talent where to work into it. Idle Miss is only three years old. It's probably the fastest growing one out there. Uh, Miss Princess America runs in the summer. And it's basically just completely sold as come here, do this pageant, get prepared before you go back and do your USA pageant. So those are kind of sleeper pageants um, that I think have some real substance to it. Um, This Miss United States of America, which I didn't really know anything about. But working with this state winner has really shown me that this woman is so positively affected by what she's doing. I now like Mrs. Pageants. I have the current Mrs. United States. She's an amazing, she was on my on my reality show. She's an amazing person that has seen it. And both of those winners don't have children, but they're Mrs. and they're married and their lives are going on. And beforehand, you could never win if you didn't have kids in the Mrs. Pageants. So we're giving another dimension of what a woman can do, which I think is kind of amazing. Which state would you say that pageant competitions are biggest in? The first one that comes to mind is Oklahoma. It's still massive. There are more contestants in California, more contestants in in um, New York. But across the board, historically to me, when I would work, I used to, I haven't lately, but I used to work a lot in Miss Oklahoma. I used to go to a store there. So I knew a lot of the contestants and their top, their top 10 at Miss Oklahoma America was as solid as Miss America, hands down. Alabama used to be amazing. It's kind of dead wood right now, kind of old and boring. Um, then there's Miss Georgia, who is always, it's always been fun. The people have fun at the show and it's gotten, I mean, this year at Miss Georgia, I just know with the girls there with the talent. It, we're going to feel like we're an American Idol, at least with the top 10 numbers. So that's kind of fun. Kentucky's always been a great state. Um, you know, and other states have moments, right, where they have somebody that's phenomenal from the, Wisconsin, which you don't even think would be pageant, has had Miss Americas. And boom, they're like they're doing something there, you know, in Minnesota the same way. But those areas really emphasize the arts. And so when you you have places that emphasize theater and the arts, you know, Christian Chenoweth couldn't even win Miss Oklahoma. Come on. You know, she was a runner up. But how does that girl not win everything she's in? I did. I did forget this question. How did you get how did you get into this? You know, my whole pageant, even with my TV stuff, are things I didn't seek. So it's so weird. I coach people to prepare to go and get and make it happen. But that's not how it happened with me. I mean, I did that with education and I always knew I would be a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. 
But I was singing to my local choir. My local choir director came up and said, there's this girl. Her parents are old and elderly. She doesn't know anything, but she's so sweet and nice. Would you please talk to her? And I did, and I liked her. Now, her hair was a mess. Her interview outfit looked like it was, you know, a blind person put it together. It was horrible. So we changed everything. And the cool thing is, and I'll always say that there's, um, thankfully right now, I forgot the country western singer that stole this idea. For her talent, she sang My Favorite Things. And that's when they could do props. We made her a bag lady. So as we put rain at the beginning of the song, so she started singing Raindrops on Roses and da 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 And she stood up and took off her like old bag lady coat and spun around and it was like a former life. Here I am. This is what I was. And then came back and fell asleep on the bench again. Um, something Morgan was a country singer. So she sang it at state didn't win, but people from CMT were there. Next thing I know I'm watching a music video and it's our music video, this song and the whole thing acted out beautifully. And I was like, well, that was a pretty good idea. But what hit then was she had purpose. And she did talk about mental illness. And this was back in the 90s. Nobody saw her coming. And she beat the maid of Cotton's daughter, who was gorgeous, who got first runner-up. And everybody in town thought, this girl had it won. So what happened was, I took the girl that nobody knew, that was kind of nice, the wallflower in school. She wins. Then what do you think every mom in town's doing the next next year? ding 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 and so that starts growing and then this girl goes and wins her little pageant and keeps growing and gets college scholarships etc so that's what happened and then like i mentioned what kicked it off into high gear is when keith called me at last impressions and said hey come up and do this he had the idea he had the concept people have tried to copy it it was phenomenal there's a talent coach a walking coach an interview coach a gown thing they're doing all this stuff together you know, a super talent guy flies in from Missouri, a walking coach from New York comes in. I mean, he brought in all these big names, but he needed an interview person. There really, there was only one guy that, that guy that I talked about earlier. So I kind of did it. Well, then the designer had a connection with her daughter's shop in Oklahoma, said, come out to Oklahoma. Then I start getting Miss Alabama's Miss Oklahoma. Somebody else calls. They win Miss Hawaii. These girls are winning Miss America or top five and we're doing something and I'm just kind of reacting. Then I start thinking, I need to kind of get this done. This is kind of a thing. And then we kind of honed in, and here we are today. I want to thank Bill so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay. Now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. What do you think is the funnest season of the year? Uh, the summer. I think it's actually, I think it's summer when you're younger, but I think it's actually fall as an adult. I mean, I think the summer is for every age group. Why wouldn't it be? It's warm. It's nice. The fall's okay, but the fall is like, and obviously this is all dependent where you live, but the fall is fine until it goes from being kind of how it was here in Michigan last week. 80 degrees Saturday and Sunday, and today it was snowing. Because the summer's not, I don't think it's as fun as an adult, because you don't really have that enjoyment of it. You don't get summers off. You got to keep working. And it's kind of a reminder of how much fun life used to be before you became an adult. And it brings you down. 
Fall has <laughs> Halloween. You've got Thanksgiving. Christmas to me, although technically in winter, is basically fall. I think fall is ultimately where it is for adults. Summer is where it is for kids. Uh, uh, the fall is fine, but I think the holidays is kind of what makes it n- not a very good season to me. Too much stress. Too much stress. What do you think is the least fun season? You know, it's changed as I've gotten older. I probably, probably when I was younger, I probably would have said like spring or something just because, you know, it's always rainy or the, you know, you, like once again, you never know what you're going to get weather wise. But I think as I get older, it's definitely the winter by far mm. the winter. I, I would disagree with you there again. I think that winter used to be my least favorite season because if I was in Kansas and like, well, what are you going to do in Kansas in the winter besides just be cold and be miserable? but now now i would think that actually fall a spring is the least fun season because all the cool stuff all the cool stuff about winter is going and all the cool stuff about summer isn't there yet so i think spring is the least fun and fall is the most fun yeah the fall is is uh, I, i would put fall bottom two if i had to rank them it would probably go uh and it's like complete opposite right so i would go summer winter Spring, fall. You're going to say fall is the least fun? Yeah, for sure. Wow. Well, I mean, that's just wrong. And my birthday is in, in, uh, in the fall, so. Wow. Okay. Maybe that's why. Maybe there's a deeper meaning that I, I'm not ready to explore yet. Maybe you just have a lot of angst about the fall. Maybe. I mean, holidays, birthdays, you know, it's, uh, yeah, maybe... Maybe I should open up, peel back a layer, but I'm I'm not going to. How far out will you start stressing about something? You've got something that you have to do. How far in advance will you start stressing out about it? I don't really look ahead too much. So I don't really, you know, I, I don't really get stressed out about something. There's always, I believe there's always a way to not be stressed. So I, I, I'm not usually stressed out about anything in advance. Hmm. I actually feel the same way. And I had this realization the other day that at, by the time you're like 35, 40, that's the first time I would say that you know how to navigate life. Like you know how to handle life's ups and downs in a way that I definitely didn't in my 20s and early 30s. I would be much more anxious about things. <laughs> now I don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you realize as you get older that uh... – Usually everything works out. I mean, obviously it doesn't, but a lot of times it does. Uh, and most times you've done it to yourself in the first place. And then going on a positive, life ain't that bad. It's not that terrible. My grandpa used to say, it's either not that bad or you're dead. And then it's not that bad. <laughs> Grandpappy Vinzant. Grandpappy Vinzant. Or I said it. I also like to pass off some of my sayings as things that Grandpappy Vinzant said. Because I won't listen to people I know, but I will listen to people that I don't know. Uh, I also have a, you know, things my grandfather used to say, and then I'll, you know, I'll just make up random shit and people will be, they'll they'll start to think about it. And it kind of makes sense. Give us a good one. Oh, man. Well, you know, it's like my grandfather used to say, Nick. Those oranges could taste the best they've tasted in a decade, but it doesn't mean that the waves are going to roll over any faster. 
It's good advice. It's good advice. <laughs> just make up nonsense. That just people... nonsense. Just nonsense. Look, it's. I mean, most of life is just pretending like you know how to do something. Oh man, I mean, how many people in in quote unquote positions of power? Uh, I mean, got there because they're professional bullshitters and they seem like they know what they're doing. I'm gonna go ahead and say that only, be- that only at the most. 20% of people know what they're doing. <laughs> Only 20% in any job that you are doing. Now, there may be people who can get the job done, but in terms of actually like knowing how to do something, why, when to do something, and why to do it at that time, I would say only 20%. Man, 20, I mean, that's, uh, the, uh, as I get older and, I, and, I, and I'm involved in more professions or people that are in those professions, uh, I might even say 10%. I could go to 10% only if you also eliminated people who just don't care. <laughs> That's Because I, I think that I've been a competent worker in the past, but would fall into that 80% of people who don't know what they're doing simply because I didn't care at all. <laughs> I can honestly say, though, I've never had a job where I didn't care. Maybe I wasn't good at it, but I've never not cared at a job I've ever done. I think that that's shifted, though. I think that people, however little they cared about work a year ago, they don't care about work at all now. Is it time for some shout-outs for me to butcher some names? Butcher them. All right, let's start here with a simple one. Uh, Matt Sanderson, uh, Christine Nichols, David Knox, I don't know why, but I, I like Knox. Like it's a first name, name last name. It's it's a good solid name, I think. Knox, yeah, that's a good one. How do they spell it? K N O X. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever met a Knox N O C K S or a Knox N O X S. It's really okay. ridiculous that we have so many words that sound exactly the same but are spelled differently. It's like we yeah, came up a with little... a. It's like we came up with a language with no thought whatsoever about how this should actually work <laughs> i mean obviously um let's see a little alliteration here jamie joseph uh liam grant another good name grant uh jonas webb Corey rufton aiden quirk jacob diaz and rollins moore all right i got a couple of uh bangers for you uh, what do you dislike doing more? And it's kind of funny we mentioned that you asked the season question earlier because w- Nick and I don't like take notes mm. and, and compare before the show, by the way. So this is just clearly uh, just meant to be this episode. But uh, what do you dislike more doing uh, like yard work in the summer or doing it in the winter, like shoveling snow, etc.? Well, I would say doing it in the summer simply because that means that like now you're in it. Like, you got to do this every week or every two weeks. In the winter, it's like occasional, especially where I live in Seattle. Like, you're going to have to shovel the snow once or twice a winter. But once spring comes, I'm going to have to mow the grass every damn week. I mean, so it's, it's frequency, it's not the time of year. So, I, this is kind of a two part question. First part is do you get excited to get the mail? Sometimes. I do like to know what's in there. 
The problem is, is that anything in there now is just junk and or bills. Very rarely do you get something interesting in the mail. But I used to be like, oh, I'll get the mail. That was something to like do. It's a big deal. <laughs> and uh, this this applies to mail or getting a package delivered. But have you ever uh, expected something to come and it didn't come that day and you were upset about it? No. Wow. Okay. Did you have something recently? Was it? Was it? No. A- no, not recently, action. but like I'm, I'm like, like I'm excited about getting the mail. I, I enjoy it for some reason. The problem is, and maybe this is a problem around the country or around the world. If you're an international listener, like we don't get mail every day here. Like we might get it on a Monday and then we'll get it on a Thursday or something like we, it's, it's very, it's very random if we get it literally back to back days. So wait a minute, the mail isn't, it's just not coming or you're just not particularly getting any. I mean, one time it might be because we just didn't get any that day. But, uh, you know, there's been times where, I mean, no one's seen a, a mail truck in the neighborhood for two, three days. Yeah, but I think that's probably just because, like, you just don't notice it. There's so many things that I think that happen that you just don't regularly notice. I'm not out there looking for the mail every single day. But I do I'm like, like a dog. How I'm far ready do you have, for it. How far do you have to go to to get your mail? I mean, it's... I don't have to walk at all. I open up my front door, reach my arm out, and my mailbox is attached to my house. Oh. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit more of an event. I don't want my mailbox yeah. attached to the house. I want I want to have to, like, slightly travel outside. I want to go between... <laughs> I want to go between 25 and 75 feet to get my mail. I don't want to walk across the street or down the block to go to the mailbox. But I want to have to have a little bit of an excursion. I want to take at so least random. 20 steps. At least 20 steps. I want to go and get the mail, not reach outside. I mean, it, 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 it's fine when you're, you know, when you're reaching out when it's negative five degrees outside. Oh, God. Tough it out. You can, you can handle a little bit of cold for 10 seconds, right? Listen, don't our you ancestors, tell me about toughing it out. Our ancestors didn't do what they did so that you could be sitting here I can't go outside for two seconds to take my mail. It's fine. Listen, you think I, we gonna... waded across oceans? What so are you, you, you going to say next? That uh, Thomas Jefferson or Thomas Edison didn't shower naked once a month for me to complain about a draft? Is that what you're going to say next? Yeah. Yeah, well, you got a pretty easy life, man. Just enjoy the things. I that wasn't you have. complaining. You're, it sounds like you're complaining. It you sounds like you these want narratives. You want your life to be so easy. I want somebody else to mow my lawn. I want somebody else to get my mail. See, see? you got to go. See, got to toughen up, man. Let's just move on to uh, <laughs> something else. All right, here's here's what we have uh, the choices to talk about today. Uh, let's see the Parmesan Express Martini. I thought that was a two-part question. What was the other part about the mail? And then there was something else. No, that was it. Do you oh. enjoy getting the mail? And then you know, I you know I already forgot. I like I already. Oh I think yeah, I about you getting upset. Do you yeah, regularly check when a package is? I never check. Like it's yeah, gonna man. get there when it gets there. I plan it ahead. And I plan ahead. No, I'll listen. I'll give I'll give Amazon shoutouts because they are uh, they have it now to where you can like literally see them like how many stops away it is. Uh, you know, w- like the exact time they're going to deliver. I mean, they, they got it. What are you ordering that you need to know exactly when it's going to be at your house? I mean, anything. A flashlight, packages, birthday gifts, all that good stuff. 
And just to clarify, you said fleshlight, not flashlight. <laughs> yeah, no, f- fleshlight. That is something that I can't believe exists. For people who do not know what a fleshlight is, it is a um, simulation of an adult film star's uh, personal genitalia, from what I understand. Like, I can't believe that that exists. I'm, if you've got one, I'm not knocking it. But that's just one of those things that, like, I can't believe that that's a real thing. Like, I can't believe it, that that well, has been created. It's so in-depth now that you can get create, like, uh, you can create your own fleshlights to be your spouse. I don't know why you would want that. Why would you want that? Like, yeah, that's the but, last uh, thing I would want. Like, Also, I, I wonder how many, like, uh, how many they sell to married men, you know what I mean? Like, of their spouses. I feel like that that's not a very high number. So, would but would you feel, like, would you, okay, let's say you've got, this person's would you then only use it when looking at that person that i could kind of understand but if you're losing using that when looking at just anybody then i kind of don't quite get it we need somebody who has one to just anonymously come on the show or just send us a actually actually, don't send us a picture no no no. i want i want someone to send you like a two paragraph write-up of what it means to them and then i want you to read it on air Okay, I would accept that. If somebody writes us a message about why they have that, <laughs> I'm not, it's just, that seems yeah. like a big step. That's a step that I'm not going to take. I can ever see myself buying one of those. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll be in the market for one anytime soon. I know somebody who has two of them. <laughs> Might even have three, <laughs> which, but I think one was like a buy one, get one free. Jesus Christ. So it kind of makes sense why you would have three. I mean, if you're going to buy a second one, you're going to get a third one for free. You're not going to turn it down. Can you give us the demographics on this person? Are they 20s to 30s? Are they single? They are single, which is a shock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, all right. We'll move on. I don't um, think you buy one of those if being single is a short-term situation either. Like you, <laughs> you've, it's probably been a while, and it's probably going to be a while. <laughs> okay, I'll just move on. Uh, all right. Uh... <laughs> That's your thing. That's your thing, man. That's one of the things we talk about a lot on this show. However you get down, how you get down. Yeah. That doesn't mean not... that people aren't going to have questions. Not judgment, just questions. Listen, I'm not laughing at you. Uh, if if that's how you go, then great, man. Do you, or if you're a lady, do you? But man, don't you have um, to clean it? That's to me would be the thing that I wouldn't want to deal with is the cleaning of it afterwards. Sure, there's all you got to get sure. that out of there. You can't just leave that in there. Do you think it's, it's dishwasher be- safe? <laughs> I'm gonna screw up. <laughs> <laughs> These are all questions that I was, you know, like. Ooh, like, just do you have to put it on the top rack? Because if you put it on the bottom rack, will the plastic burn? Let's or, see how rubber. Are let's see if someone has Googled this. Are fleshlights? Of course they have. Of course, dishwasher safe. No, but I just how to clean your fleshlight. Don't use a dishwasher. Any soap? Oh, don't use soap. It's not dishwasher safe. So people have really, really researched this. I mean, there's like. Oh my gosh! There's there's like cleaning tips, which I get it. <laughs> oh, they are not dishwasher safe. Okay, 
Good God. Uh, all right. I, uh, all right. Stat. Four options here. Uh, the Parmesan Express Martini. Apparently, that's a viral thing where people are making uh, Parmesan-flavored martinis. Uh, uh, the Chinese uh, U.S. police station. Apparently, it's come out that uh, a group of Chinese radicalists had an undercover police station in, in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Were, uh, you know, who knows what they were doing, but one could imagine. Um, the other option that did not win was the Pacific Garbage Patch, it's called. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but it's literally like a, I don't even know how big. Like it's a like mile the size wide. of a country. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. It's a big and it's, problem. It's getting close to, you know, possibly having a trajectory towards the California coast, which would be an absolute disaster. Um for ecosystems and all that stuff. But anyways, um, what won, naturally, it was probably the most pointless thing of the four choices, uh, and that is apparently McDonald's came out and have said that uh, their burgers are going to be getting upgrades. They're going to be made uh, differently with a little bit more ingredients that are good for you. Apparently, the cheese that they're going to start, they're, they're switching the, uh, the maker of cheese. The cheese is going to melt a little better. Instead of being just like a wax, you know, wax paper. Um, and there's going to be softer buns for <laughs> the burgers. Um, yeah, so, I don't believe that at all. But okay, sure. Great. I, so in, so instead of spending half a cent on ingredients, they're now going to spend three quarters <laughs> of a cent, right? Like, let's not take this back here and think we're getting luxury items, right? They're going to go from spending a dollar to a dollar a one. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's I, I was doing some research on. I mean, there's several conspiracies out there that you know this is them trying to appeal to the wokeness and blah blah blah. And it's I, I keep reading these things, and, and not to take away anything from those folks that feel that way, but it's McDonald's. They could say, "Listen, there's actual shit in this burger, and people are going to buy it." It really doesn't matter, right? They could also say matter. there's actual shit in this burger, and we need to kind of like update our stuff. And somebody would be like, what a minute. What do you mean? Well, yeah, it was right? good enough for me when I was your age. These kids today, <laughs> they don't even want to eat shit in their burgers anymore. No yeah, matter I mean, what I, is going on, somebody will find an issue with it. Absolutely. That's so. Anyways, McDonald's still still probably top five uh, fast food burger, I think, overall. Um, uh, not yeah, not it's many up there. to choose from, but probably top five. I would personally, because I don't have a sense of smell, have a very difficult time. If you gave me like a blind taste test of the different burgers, like from Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's, I would I would have a hard time telling them apart. I uh, I could probably I could probably figure it out. I think, but that's not a good sign either. So, yeah, yeah. Are we? Are you ready for our top five? Are we on our top five? We're yeah, man. We're we're half an hour in. Let's go. All right, so our top five is top five obsolete things, things that we used to rely on or use frequently that now are just suddenly don't need those anymore at all. <laughs> What's your number five? Uh, so a lot of mine are technology-based, I, I realized, uh, but my number five is AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, what's weird, though, is that we've kind of brought that back in like Slack and Teams. We've just brought it back in a more advanced way. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. What was that? 
Oh, did you just throw up? I have no idea what just happened. It's like once one vocal cord went, the other didn't go. Um, no, so a- aim. AOL Do you realize that we breathe, talk, and eat all through the same hole and somehow manage to get that right most of the time? It's amazing that we don't choke, that people don't choke to death every day. I mean that, like, it doesn't happen to all people all the time. Like, you can breathe, eat, and talk at the same time, and somehow your body figures that out. Yeah, sure. That's incredible. Um, man, it's weird where, where we go on this pointless podcast. You don't think that's amazing? You're breathing, eating, and talking out of the same hole, and somehow you don't die every time you do that. I mean, I've always found it kind of wild that uh, a certain orifice on our body we dispel excrement oh. from but can also be used as a pleasure hole like how can it be a shit hole but also be used as pleasure because basically man all of life happens in the same general area right so anyway, it's like... the recreation and the defecation all happens okay well that's so, okay. like I, i'm with you on that 100 percent. what was your number five aol even... instant messenger Oh yeah, Lunchbox Boy 05, look me up. You still have it? Could you log on? You still got the password? No, I don't. I don't think they have. Uh, do they even have like a reiteration? No, AOL is like dead now, right? It's not even really. It's like a shell of what it was. So I'm just enough older. I'm old, just enough older than you that like I passed that by. That technology wasn't there at the time that I would have used it. So I never really used it. M- my number five might be a little controversial. My number five is watches and clocks. I think they're completely obsolete in the sense that nobody is using a watch to tell what time it is. See, I think, yeah, I think you're a little wrong there. I think. Uh, How many watches do you have? I don't know, probably about a dozen, two dozen. And you check the time with your watch. I mean, obviously, it's more of a uh, a style statement, right? Like you wear it, you know. Yes, you don't wear it to check time, but also it's not. I, I wouldn't consider it. I wouldn't consider watches or clocks obsolete. I consider watches to be obsolete because you're not using it for what its intended purpose is. If you're looking at the time, you're it's like, "What time is it?" And you got a watch on. You're not looking at your watch. You're looking at your phone. I mean, I, I I see I see what you're saying, and it makes sense. But also, I, I I wouldn't consider those obsolete. I just wouldn't. Okay, it's your number four. Uh, brick and mortar stores. Ooh, very close to it. Yeah, and you know, my my thought was like Blockbuster, um, Toys oh, R Us. Yeah. Like, but I would go out on a limb and say that within the next five to t- I'll, I'll say within the next ten years, malls will be gone. And within the next five years, you will not see a competitive brick and mortar store outside of maybe three of them. Costco, Walmart, and this is nationally, by the way, not like the local stuff, but uh, yeah, Costco, Walmart, and those Amazon stores that are starting to pop up. It's basically only going to be giant stores. It's yeah. either going to be giant or very kind of specific to that area, like, like a, a local store. store. Like a flashlight store, right? Something you can go in there and would you ever buy a used one? 
Let's, what's your number four? Jesus. What if there was a used one? Would you? I wonder if there's a used market. A market? Absolutely. I bet you there is. I bet. You, I guarantee you there is. Don't don't search it. I'm going to search it and do my internet history for years. Used. <laughs> There's a Reddit post post that just says, I would be interested in purchasing a used fleshlight. Love anything used and broke in. I even buy used underwear. That is an interesting person, man. There's always somebody. Like, I don't care what the market is. There is always somebody. My number four is cassette tapes. (laughs) CDs, I think, are still around. You can definitely still get vinyl records, but cassette tapes have just dropped. I don't know if you could find find a new one if you wanted to. I don't think they exist anymore. I mean, you can, yeah, they don't exist anymore. Nobody makes cassettes because cassettes are a, it's a technology that hasn't been around in a decade and a half, at least. I would almost say CDs are very close to it. Maybe in the next five years, I think CDs are gone. Yeah, I mean, didn't didn't albums just pass CDs like for the first time in history? I mean, CDs are... They're on the way out for sure. Yeah. Uh, What's your number three? So once again, not yet obsolete in some places, but uh, newspapers. Yeah. Certainly like a physical newspaper is almost, I would say that's going to be obsolete within the next 10 years. Yeah. uh, And and, and most, uh, like, we're lucky where I live in Detroit to have two major ones. But, and I, I would think in most you know, smaller cities, they might might not even get one. And having a newspaper to me is like reading a like a physical book. Like it's just good. It's just it's a lot better than reading it off your phone. I don't know if I've ever actually read a newspaper. It's at least been twenty years to like pick up an actual newspaper and read it. Yeah, it's good. That's probably been twenty years. It makes you feel very- good about yourself. It does. We use technology. My number three is landlines. Nobody I mean, needs a landline. That's just ridiculous I, I, to have a landline. I still what? have a landline. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Would you? Yeah. Can we? Can you give out your landline phone number so we can call you? I honestly don't know it off the top of my head. I have no idea what it is. Why do you have it then? I to, I've told you several times on this podcast it's my wife who has it mm-hmm. and for some reason the only person who will answer uh when called from it is is her mother my mother-in-law so it's basically like a bat phone for your mother-in-law <laughs> yes if we're gonna give it a name after five years of this podcast it's gonna be called the bat phone for my mother-in-law that's the mother-in-law perfect. bat phone the mother-in-law yeah. phone mother-in-law bat phone. for one reason well then she should pay for it I mean, she's on uh, – well, no, she doesn't. Yeah, she should pay for it. Right. I think that you need to step up a little bit and start demanding some accountability from your family. <laughs> uh, is it my, my number two? Yeah. <laughs> like how I just completely went over that. Yeah, I noticed uh, that. Pagers. Oh, pager was a big deal, man. Yeah. That was a big deal. Dude, it was – I mean, it was the greatest feeling to get a page from a from like a woman, like from a girl you were trying to get with, and you just read it. You know, like it was always there. You could always go back to it. I mean, I know we have cell phones now, but man, feeling the vibration on your hit, your hip, 
and looking at it, there was nothing better back in the day than carrying a pager. Plus, if you had a pager, like like you were all right, like you were cool. Yeah, I would say that pager was pager was probably cooler than a cell phone. Like the first people who yeah. got cell phones, like all right, they were kind of cool, but you had to be pretty cool to have a pager. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big deal. Yeah, hundred percent. My number two is maps. Like having an actual physical map. And I remember when you used to have one of those in the back. You had to have one of those in the back of the car. Yeah, so I'm that that was actually the only one I really had on my honorable mention was uh like the Rand McNally maps. You know, the big books. And your your aunts would give them to you as Christmas gifts, and you'd be like, Why the fuck do I need a map of Illinois? <laughs> like like what are you doing? I remember actually having to like use one. Like, oh, I got to look at the map. Go driving through it. Like, that used to be a big deal. You had to plan out where you were going and, like, print off things from MapQuest if you were going to a new city about directions, oh how to get here, how to get there. Remember it was, like, called, like, Triptix or something through MapQuest, and they would, like, print off turn by turn? Turn by turn. You had to turn by – you had to yeah. print it off. God, and now you, I don't think – the thing that I don't honestly remember how we even used to do was get airline tickets. Like, I don't even remember how we did that well, you before had to, the internet. You had to go to the front de- or the counter, get the physical ticket, and that was it. I mean, yeah, literally now you just walk in, right? You just walk into the terminal. No, dude, like finding the flight that you wanted to take. Oh, right, right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to fucking remember. Don't even remember how to do it. No idea. I think you had to call somebody. You had to like call the different airlines or something like that. Which that reminds I I should have put this on my top five, but I'll put it on my honorable mention is like uh, like yellow pages, you know, like the info pages. That's my number one. Actually, is phone book. Oh, that's a good one because that is something that you absolutely had to have, and it now is completely unnecessary. Yeah, it's. I mean. It, but now you have to like pay. it's all online, and I always wonder for for those in communities who may not have internet or whatnot, like what do they do? Because I don't think Yellow Page makes a physical book anymore. I don't think that they do either. And that used to be like if you wanted, you could find anybody's phone number. Like yeah. if you wanted to call call Steve Johnson, you could look up Steve Johnson and call him. Yeah. What do you have in your honorable mention then? Did you? Oh wait, what was your number one? No. You didn't even like I. We didn't even get to my number one yet, okay, which is okay, kind yeah. of lame in, in the hindsight. But uh, it's a Walkman. Oh yeah, dude! Once again, completely obsolete. If you were rocking the pager and the Walkman, you were you were on top of of whatever school you were in. Oh yeah, you had it. This you could never have a CD Walkman though. It wasn't the same. The Walkman had to be tape. Oh, man. Wasn't the same thing. I man, I I, I yeah. Do you, do you remember do you did you have a favorite cassette? Did you have like a favorite cassette? Yeah. Snoop Dogg's first album, which I had <laughs> to like I remember buying it and I uh-huh. showed it to my mom, but I put my thumb right over the explicit lyric lyrics st- <laughs> lyric sticker. And she didn't like look at it enough to realize what it was to give a shit. (laughs) 
But then we played it in the car on the ride home because my dad's like, let's listen to your new tape. Oh, my God. That's the that's the best, man. I had it for about 30 seconds. I also had like GPS systems, like maps uh, that, I, that I'm going to add to it. Um, fax machines, but I mean, I don't really miss fax machines. I just, it was a technology that is completely obsolete now because of computers. Used to be a big deal to have a car phone, man. Yeah, had, but I mean, that, you, I I feel like there's a different level between having a pager and a Walkman, and then having a car phone. Like, if you had a car phone, you had money. Wait, so you had a pager? Did you set that whole thing up to try to make it seem like you were a cool kid in high school with a pager? I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I had a pager in high school. I had, uh, and like, cell phones didn't really become a thing until I was like a junior senior. So. The first couple of years, you know, you were rocking out a, a pager and uh, just beeping all over the place. Why did you have a pager as a freshman? What were you doing that you needed to be paged as a freshman? I mean, I had a burner pager too, but we won't go into that. Were you selling stuff? <laughs> just flashlights. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review doesn't have to be anything big, just a couple of quick words really helps us out. And let us know what you think are some of the things that have just become absolutely obsolete over the last couple of years. It's so crazy to me how things that were once such a central part of our lives just kind of fade out of existence. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.